0: As the offering is being collected, I wanted to go over uh, a couple of announcements that pertain to <clears throat> everyone. Uh, we have a couple things coming up here in our future I want you to be aware of. January 26th, uh, the last few years we've used that last Sunday in January, uh, just to intentionally share uh, some vision with you to help you understand where we've been, where we're going, how we all fit into that picture about, concerning the unique work that God is doing. Uh, through Lebanon Christian Church to fulfill his purposes. And so uh, we're going to do that on Sunday morning. But I also want you to be aware, if you want even more details, on Sunday afternoon at 4.30 p.m. in this same space, we're going to have what we call our annual meeting. Um, We invite all of our members and people that are invested and want to know more about what we are doing and why we're doing it uh, to be present. We'll share some more details, some more detailed reports from some of our ministry staff and things like that. And so that's coming up January 26th. Again, Vision Sunday, be here Sunday morning, worship with us uh, during one of our worship experiences, hear about what God is doing uh, and what we hope he'll do. And then if you want to come back and join us at 430 on Sunday afternoon. Kind of in keeping with that, uh, on that Sunday, the 26th, we're going to share some some neat things with you. Um, Things that we're hoping that you will pray with us about, uh, that you will fast even with us about. And so we're giving you a heads up in advance that on Monday, January 27th, we're asking that those who are able, we know not everybody's health allows them to, but those that are able, would you join us? In fasting and praying over some things we'll share with you on the 26th. So if you need to plan ahead, uh, maybe you you haven't scheduled any lunch meetings yet that day, would you fast with us? And here's a challenge. If you've never fasted before, maybe you just choose one meal. Uh, Maybe you just choose to fast through one meal. Uh, You go without eating, you drink some water, and then as your body reminds you that you're hungry or you desire food, you redirect your thoughts towards God and what He's all about. And uh, and the prayer matters will give you uh, maybe you fasted through a meal before. Maybe you've fasted through a couple meals before. Well, the challenge for you that day, is, is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a sunrise to sunset fast. And so I'm going to go the whole day and I'm going to spend my time uh, when I am prompted to pray uh, for the things we'll share with you on Monday. Uh, on, we'll share them with you on January 26th, that Sunday. We want to pray for them on that Monday. We're going to finish that Monday with a prayer and worship experience here at 6.30. Uh, We're going to pray and worship together for 45 minutes to an hour, intergenerational. Uh, We want young kids, old kids, uh, young adults, old adults, everybody. uh, We're going to be praying out loud together, singing together, and uh, seeking the heart of God together. And so we want that to be on your radar coming up for January 26th and 27th. The other thing I want to do this morning before we jump into uh, the Word is just express my gratitude to you. I I tried to do that yesterday with as many of you as possible. Um, Many of you are aware that we hosted uh, the visitation and funeral services for two of um, the really young victims from the accident down at the Anson exit uh, last Sunday. Uh, We hosted the services for Mariah and her daughter Hadley, And I just want to tell you um, from the bottom of my heart how grateful I am to be a part of a community uh, like Lebanon Christian Church where you will sacrifice, you'll come serve, uh, you'll be available in a number of different ways to help care for a family going through what is one of the most horrific things Uh, They can experience and so I just want you to know I am grateful. I am grateful for Lebanon Christian Church our vision in part it begins with the idea of being an outpost of hope. We want to bring hope to places where it isn't. And if you've walked through tragedy, you've walked through grief, you know that sometimes it's hard to find that light of hope. And, and I believe wholeheartedly because of reports I got from the family that, that you guys helped bring that hope. And so whether you helped park cars, and, and that was a wild one, uh, you had wind and 60s and rain, and then by the time you were done, it was in the low 40s and cold, and, and you did that. Um, some of you opened doors again and again. Some of you helped people find restrooms in our facility, or got them a glass of water, or helped them find a seat, or just visited with them and offered words of comfort. Uh, some of you in our law enforcement community were present in case uh, we had any needs, just to serve and to be available. Uh, a number of you helped with food preparation and serving the food and cleaning up the food, and and the list just goes on and on. I just want to say thank you. Um, I hope you understand that, I believe you do, that when we love people, even when it's difficult in those tangible ways, it can be one of the most effective ways of helping them see God's love for them and God's love for humanity. And so thank you. Um, I think of Paul, who talks about boasting in Christ. And so Um, If you're a guest with us, please don't hear me just, you know, tooting our own horn. Like I'm just saying I am proud to be a part of a community of people that want to serve and help and love someone else. Um, I want to pray and just thank God for you. And then we're going to jump into the word. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the Lebanon Christian Church family. I thank you that you have called us in this time, in this season, Uh, in this place, uh, to serve in some unique ways. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the willingness of so many to um, cancel uh, plans, uh, to rearrange schedules, to come and to uh, put up with elements outside and just bear the hard weight of uh, being with people as they just have a heavy grief. Lord, thank you for Lebanon Christian Church. I thank you for your body. Your body's doing so many great things in this community. Um, I, I love the things that I see in, in so many of our churches and their people. Uh, but God, I'm especially grateful for uh, this group of men and women, young and old, that I get to be a part of and that we get to try to push back the darkness together. And so God, continue to guide us. Help us to be uh, people who rely upon you, who commit to walking by faith and not by sight, who will risk boldly to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us, Father, and lead us and guide us. And it's in your name we pray. Uh, amen. Uh, each year in January, uh, one of the early Sundays, I just kind of share with you um, a hint about where we're headed uh, in the coming year. We get away. You may remember this uh, from previous years. Uh, our staff, a portion of us, gets away usually in late summer, early fall, and we begin uh, talking through, reflecting on, uh, praying through in a number of ways, listening to one another about Uh, how we can discern what God wants in this next season, these next months in the life of Lebanon Christian Church. And so what I've done for the last few years is that I will give a series of questions and prompts uh, to these staff members to have them already praying about in the weeks leading up to when we get away. Uh, Something we did differently this year is that we sent some of those prompts and questions uh, to a diverse group from even within Lebanon Christian Church, and the questions have to do with, what what do you see the greatest needs are in our community? What are your needs and your own growth as a follower of Jesus? What are the burdens that you're bearing? Like, what do you see happening in our world that concerns you? And there's just a number of questions, and we just have people answer those, we answer those, and we just pray through them and say, okay, God, show us how you're working in all this and show us how you want us to work in the midst of all this. And so um, all of that kind of came together uh, in early September when a group of us got away and we prayed and reflected. And as we worked through those questions and those prompts and how we felt God had been stirring in us, we kind of came back to this idea. Um, the, the kind of the questions kept coming back to what does it look like to be an authentic Disciple of Jesus in our culture. We, we know that our culture continues to evolve and change rapidly. And something I, I don't want you to hear is when I say the word culture, I'm not automatically assigning culture into a category of being bad and evil. I think too often we take something and we say it's either all good or it's all bad and it can't be some of both. There are a lot of good things in our culture. Uh, there are a lot of things that we have access to and we get to experience in our culture. But our culture tells us something. Uh, when, I, when I look at our culture, I see um, incredible division at times. It's really hard to be someone who tries to be somewhat objective and find your place uh, uh, somewhere in a continuum between two points of view because people want to label you and force you into one camp, and that creates a lot of division and a lot of hostility. Uh, I know when I look at our culture, we are moving towards probably a very contentious and difficult season in relationships with other people. Why? Because this fall we're electing a president again. And man, I know what that was like four years ago, and that wasn't fun. And, uh, and, and I'm guessing that it's probably going to be every bit as contentious this year as it was then. It's just something we know about our culture. So how do we live as an authentic disciple in, in that cultural climate? Here's something else I know about our culture. Our culture affords us a number of experiences and opportunities and, and products to consume and enjoy. And at the same time, those very things that can be so good, sometimes they actually Uh, serve as distractions that keep us from really seeing God's purposes or living for God's purposes. So how do we live as an authentic disciple with so many opportunities around us in a culture that's characterized by FOMO, right? we got the fear of missing out. And so how do we authentically follow Jesus there? I think about a culture that's inundated with a greater awareness of pain and suffering. 20 years ago, when I first began being a pastor, Um, if you wanted to read the news online, uh, you had to listen to the dial-up tones and the static, and web pages would load very slowly. And so um, your best chance to get the news was to turn on at 6 o'clock or 10 o'clock or in the morning and uh, maybe pick up a paper. And so you didn't see so much, but obviously things have changed. And so with digital media, social media, now we have an inundation. Like, Like you hear about burdens you never would have heard about. And sometimes those burdens are crushing and the weight is heavy, right? And so that's just, that's just our culture. So how do we live as an authentic disciple when there's so much awareness of pain and suffering? Another thing about our culture we know is that there's an increasingly, um, uh, there's an increasing intolerance towards people who uh, appreciate the authority or uh, would say there's authority in the words of God and want to obey his commands. And, and so if you say that I, I want to obey the teachings of Jesus or I want to obey the words of the Bible, there's, there's, there's increasing intolerance related to that. That's just a, a reality of our culture. And so how do we live as an authentic disciple of Jesus? you know there was a period in our history as a nation where uh, there was this kind of cultural christianity where it was actually convenient and it was actually to your benefit to identify as a follower of jesus uh, well well that environments on cardiac arrest Um, it's no longer looked at often as being convenient or good or comfortable for you to identify as a follower of Jesus. And so what does it look like to be an authentic disciple of Jesus? And I would submit, by the way, I'll just throw my cards on the table. I think it's really good that cultural Christianity is going to the wayside because it helps us see what does it really look like to follow Jesus instead of aligning with things that maybe weren't really a part of his plan all along. we can have a longer discussion about that another time. But, but Jesus isn't going anywhere. The way of God isn't going anywhere. And so let's follow him and pursue him and see what his life is all about. So these thoughts are stirring as we're praying, as we're listening. And, and it kind of brought us back to our theme uh, for 2020 is that if this is how we feel God leading us, then uh, we want to be a church characterized simply by seeking him this year. And so our theme for 2020 is very simply, seek Him. And that Him is Jesus, that, that Him is, is God's best, that Him is God's purposes. Let's seek God. Let's seek Jesus. Let's seek him in 2020. Let's explore what it looks like to, in response to the marvelous grace of God, respond through obedience. Let's see what it looks like to reprioritize our lives around God's priorities and and doing the hard work of allowing him to invade our choices and our decisions and our beliefs and our feelings. Let's seek him. And so when we identified the theme and we were like, okay, how are we going to teach this? How are we going to preach this? And as we were sorting through potential uh, teaching ideas and preaching ideas, I kept coming back to this prompting I felt like I had had. I wasn't sure if the Lord was leading it or not. Back in early spring, why don't we just preach through Luke? And when the fall had um, kind of carried on, we'd moved on from this retreat, we decided that we would just preach through the gospel of Luke. In 2020. If we want to seek Him, what better place to begin than just immersing ourselves in the life and teaching and works of the one we're seeking? And so in 2020, from January 12th today through the end of the year, we're going to be looking through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 today. And next week, we're going to pick up in verse 5 and go through verse 25. And we're just going to keep moving through the gospel of Luke. And there's a number of reasons why we're going to take it in that order. Luke tells us in this early introduction, and we'll look at it in a little bit, that he wrote an orderly account. Luke intentionally shaped the gospel to relay a message. And so we're just going to follow along. Luke shaped it intentionally, so let's just follow along uh, intentionally. One of the tools we have for you, and they're available at the back of the room if you don't have one yet. Some of you picked them up on your way in, and, and, and some of our people passed them out. Uh, we have these scripture journaling Bibles. It simply is the Gospel of Luke, uh, his words. On the left-hand page, you'll have the words of the biblical text, and on the right-hand page, a place with empty lines where you can take notes. You can see I've ever kind of filled some of mine in with some thoughts. We hope that many of you will join us by grabbing a scripture journaling Bible and just reading in preparation for the coming week. Uh, Next week, we hope to have for you a sticker that will go in the back that will give you the readings for each week. And since we don't have that ready yet, um, please know that it's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Uh, what we're going to do is we'll just begin at the beginning. Um, these are in the English Standard Version. I don't typically preach from that. I usually preach from the NIV, which is probably the more common Bible in the room. So what I'll do as we work through Luke is that I'll start with the Luke text and the ESV always. And then for other texts, well, I'll go back to the, to the NIV. Um, you may be saying, Craig, wait a second. Those are a lot of initials. ESV, NIV, like what are we talking about? RSV, that's going around. Like, I mean, what 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 are we doing here? And so, so the ESV is what we call a formal translation. Translations of Scripture, as our translation teams look at the original source languages, Hebrew Old Testament, Greek New Testament, um, they have a philosophy in mind. And so formal translations are ones where they say, let's preserve as much as we can with the original structure of the source language, sentence structure, clauses, and let's try to find the, the most equivalent word in the receiving language, in this case, English. And so they put a lot of emphasis on that and there's a lot of merit to that. Then you have functional translations like the NIV. They say, okay, we know that these things are important, but let's really look for meaning." What are the, what's the meaning of the passage? And even if we have to compromise some of the structure, we'll do that. Even if we have to find just not quite the right word, we will because we want to preserve meaning. Both of them are important. Both of them are readable, but they're very different. And so the ESV is more formal. That means at times the language will be a little more cumbersome. That's going to be pretty evident today when we work through the first four verses. Um, the NIV, it's usually a little easier to read, but maybe we miss some nuances along the way. And so we're just going to hang out. study Luke together, and here's what I know is that God will just grab hold of us and draw us into his life as we seek him. I think you'll understand why Luke in just a moment as we work through the first few verses. And so if you already have one of these, find Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you don't, you can look it up in your own Bible that you brought with you today or on your phone, a tablet. Uh, The verses will be on the screen. Here's Luke chapter 1. I'll tell you going in that Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it is one long sentence. Uh, In the original language, Greek, Luke recorded one long sentence and people have actually said this about that sentence is that this one sentence that spans verses one through four is the most eloquent, the most precise, the most sophisticated Greek sentence in the entire New Testament. So like, like, like this is incredible and there's a reason that Luke does that, that we'll get to in a minute, but, 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 but that's what makes it somewhat complex initially. But here's what I'll tell you is that um, we are spoiled in our culture. Oftentimes, when we think of learning from God's word, we treat it like we do everything else in our society. How fast can we get it? How fast can we be done with it, right? If you wait in line at a drive-thru for longer than five or ten minutes, you're frustrated. It wasn't fast enough. And a lot of times, we treat reading these inspired words of God the same way. Where's, where's my daily devotion? Where's my, my one scripture verse? Where can I just get it done and, 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 be, and be finished, when we really slow down, even when it's a difficult sentence or a group of sentences, it's amazing how, as we slow, God helps us understand. And the same's true here. So, Luke chapter one, verses one through four. He begins with the word that you probably don't use very much: uh, "In as much, uh, because of these things, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative." Of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitness, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Okay, don't say I didn't warn you. That's a long sentence. As we begin looking at it, though, here's where you need to start. I want you to understand that these four verses, this introduction to Luke's gospel, this inspired historical biography on the life of Jesus, it declares his purpose. He tells us in these verses why he recorded these events of Jesus' life. And so let's just start there. What's the purpose? Because if it's important then, it's important for us to understand For the purpose. And it's found at the end of verse 3, into verse 4. He tells us that he's writing an orderly account for Theophilus. And here's the purpose verse 4 that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke just tells us, I wrote this because I want the reader to have a certainty, to have an assurance, to have a confidence in what they've been taught. What has Theophilus been taught? Well, we know because of the rest of Luke's gospel, he's been taught about Jesus because Luke's gospel is all about Jesus. And so Luke says, I'm writing so that Theophilus, you can have some certainty, some assurance, some confidence surrounding the things that you understand about Jesus, that you've come to believe about Jesus. Why is that significant? We're looking at late first century AD. There's incredible persecution towards believers. There, here, here's Theophilus. By his name, he's likely a, what we would call a Gentile, a Greek. He wasn't a Jew. And he's probably being caught in the middle of, do I, do I really have to do these things to be a follower of Jesus? Yet there's persecution for Christians. So am I really aligning myself around the right things? And so Luke says, Theophilus, here you go. I want you to see with certainty the things you've been taught. I want you to have confidence in what you've been taught. I want you to know that what you have centered your life around is reliable. It's worth it. That's his purpose in writing. So everything that follows is intended to help the reader, help the hearer understand. Now, a great question would be, so does that mean that when we read Luke, we're just simply eavesdropping on a personal conversation and that probably it shouldn't apply to us? Um, You probably guessed the answer is no, and here's why. In Hellenistic society, Greco-Roman society, it was common when someone wrote an important work to provide a dedication. Typically, a dedication was towards the person who helped fund the project um, it's very similar. If you read books today, um, you'll read acknowledgments at the very beginning or perhaps a foreword. And, and oftentimes, the author will say, this is to my daughters or this is to my husband or, or this is for you, Sally, or this is, and they'll just name that person. Well, they're not intending that, that only the book's only to be read by that one person. Otherwise, that's a whole lot of work that goes into something only to be read by one person. But they're saying that they're included in the audience. They want it to be read widely. So Luke's intent here is that for Theophilus and for others like him, who at times doubt this one who they've reordered their lives around, who sometimes in the struggle of life wonder if what they're doing really is the right thing, who struggle for confidence and assurance in their faith, it's for them. And I don't know about you, But there are times that I struggle in my faith. There are times that I wonder if everything that I've aligned my life around, is it really right? And so I need the assurance and I need the certainty and I need the confidence. And that tells me that Luke's gospel is not just for Theophilus. It's not just for the men and women of the first century, but it's for you and me. And that's where we begin to see the beautiful thread of God's spirit working his plan to completion. What do we know about Theophilus? There's a lot that's been written about him, and most of what it says is we don't really know a whole lot about him. We we know that his name means friend of God or lover of God, dear to God, or different ways it's translated. We know that he must have been a distinguished person. What type of distinguished person, we don't know. We know he's distinguished because Paul refers to him as most excellent Theophilus. Uh, This may be new to you, but Luke actually has two writings in your New Testament the Gospel of Luke, and the Acts of the Spirit, or Acts, how God moved through his church. In both, he addresses them to Theophilus. In Acts, he actually records Paul's words, where Paul speaks to Roman officials and governors and calls them most excellent so it's a distinguished thought. So Theophilus was a man of importance. He's a man whose name means friend of God. It's likely if Luke's wanting to help him find confidence and certainty and assurance that he was already a follower of Jesus. But that's about all we know. The rest is just wondering, was he, was he the, the one who funded the project? Is, is he, is he a, a leader in a church? Is he a Roman official who doesn't want everybody to know his name? We don't know those things. We only know this, that he was a distinguished person who needed to be reassured and have confidence. And, and, and I can get on board with that because that's me sometimes. So who was Luke? How do we know Luke wrote this? It gets his name. Uh, you've thumbed through the pages of the Gospel of Luke and nowhere will you see him say, um, Yep, that's me, Luke. I wrote this. So we rely a lot on history. The oldest manuscripts we have of the Gospel of Luke date back to the late 2nd century, somewhere around 170, 175 AD. We actually have several manuscripts from that time of the Gospel of Luke, and all of them are credited to Luke. We have some extra-biblical resources. That means things outside of Scripture that have been discovered that all look back and say, Luke wrote this Gospel Probably the most compelling evidence is in Acts because Luke identifies himself as this traveling companion of Paul. Both writings are written to Theophilus. They carry very, uh, a lot of similarities. And so that's why we believe that Luke wrote uh, the gospel. What else do we know about Luke? Luke was a doctor. How do we know that? Paul tells us, it's pretty simple. Colossians chapter four, verse 14, he says, Luke, the doctor. So, hey, he's a physician. That means he's a pretty smart man. That means he, he has a handle on, on how to use language and how to pay attention to details, which, which probably leads to this orderly account he writes for Theophilus. In order to inspire confidence and assurance and certainty, But what prompted, what was the catalyst, what propelled Luke to address this purpose with Theophilus? And for that, we go back to verse one. In as much, uh, here's the $5 challenge this week. Use that in a text or an email this week and just see what it does to the people you send it to, okay? In, In as much as many have undertaken To compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Because we know, because we've seen that many have undertaken, they've set their hand to, they've worked diligently is what this word means. Because they've labored over compiling a narrative, an ordered sequence, a report of what was accomplished among us. Luke says, there are people who have committed a good portion of their lives and their energy to giving us a written report of what was accomplished among them. And again, because of what follows in Luke, we know that we're talking about what God did through Jesus Christ. Luke says that he has seen these reports that were labored over where where people help us understand what Jesus was accomplishing on God's behalf for God's purposes in the world. That's part of the catalyst. Like people have dedicated their lives to this. Here's the really fun thing is that it's likely that two of the narratives he's thinking of are Matthew and Mark. He's seen them. He's read them. He's heard the reports. But that's not all. Verse two. He says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It's not just that There's been a lot of attention and people have dedicated their lives to recording what was accomplished through Jesus. But Luke's heard firsthand from eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. These are not two separate people. Those statements go together, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. There are people who saw Jesus' life. He's not talking about just people that saw Jesus. We have Herod, we have Pharisees, we have Sadducees, we have people who just saw Jesus. These eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, these are people who not only saw him, but they chose to align their lives around what they saw and what they heard and, and the mission and the message that he proclaimed. That were ministers, idea of servants. They served the message and the mission of Jesus. And he says, We have heard firsthand of people who heard about Jesus. This is beyond the narratives we read, but firsthand, people have told us about how Jesus did these things, the impact that he had in their life, and they were willing to abandon everything to, to just align their lives around who he is and what he'd done and what he wanted. And if that's not enough, he says, so with all this in mind, it seemed good, verse 3, it seemed good to me also. Like if people are undertaking projects that Jesus has this much impact, eyewitnesses have seen the impact, I'm experiencing the impact, and it seems good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He says, it seemed good to me to go all the way back to the beginning and do a thorough investigation of everything that I've heard about Jesus. And here's what many people think. This phrase, since times past, has to do with going back to the very origins. It seems that Luke saw the incredible transformation that was happening among people who trusted in Jesus. He knew the impact of the message to himself, but he said, okay, I want to go back and see how all this comes together. And so he began working through the tradition of the Jews and the origins of the world. What we would know as Genesis. Genesis. He heard about God's covenant with Abraham, about Moses, about the prophets, and how God was working this incredible plan of redemption that would come to fulfillment with the Messiah, Jesus. Did you see what Luke is doing? If you're in a courtroom and uh, the jury is seated uh, off to the side, the accused is in a seat, and there are attorneys. And you're deliberating whether someone is guilty or innocent. And an attorney brings in uh, evidence, and they say, okay, this is what we have that, that shows that this person uh, committed these crimes. And you're like, oh, that's, that's pretty compelling. Well, I'm not sure. And the attorney goes, well, we have more evidence. And they, they bring a whole nother, you know, file box of evidence and they lay it before you. And you're like, well, that's even more compelling. I'm pretty sure I know where this is going. And they say, well, w- w- wait a second. Uh, we, we, have, we have all of this evidence as well. And maybe the scene that you can picture, how many of you have seen the movie Miracle on 34th Street? There's that scene at the end of the movie, right, where um, they're going through all this evidence and then suddenly what happens? Like the mail carriers come in with bag after bag after bag Bag after bag of people who believe in Santa. The evidence just gets compelling and more compelling and more compelling. That's what Luke is doing. Luke is saying, listen, not only have people dedicated their lives to recording the impact of Jesus, not only have eyewitnesses experienced it and realigned their lives around him, But Theophilus, I have gone back and I have researched everything thoroughly from the very beginning. And so I am putting this together in an orderly account, a way that you can understand so you can have a certainty and a confidence about this one who came and changed everything. So the purpose of Luke's gospel is that anyone who needs to be assured, who needs certainty that Jesus is worth everything, it's for us. Fulfillment is a huge concept in Luke, as you'll find over the coming weeks. Luke bookends his gospel with the idea of fulfillment. In verse 1, he says that they, uh, many under, have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished or fulfilled among us. The NIV uses the word fulfilled. Do you guys remember how the gospel of Luke ends It's a story about two men who are journeying to Emmaus. Uh, It's following Passover. Um, They, like a lot of people, came to Jerusalem. Uh, They were intrigued. They thought maybe Jesus was going to do something spectacular. And then Jesus was crucified. And it seemed like all the hopes and the expectations were dashed. And so you have these men who are a mix of dejection, but also bewilderment because at the same time, they've started to hear these early reports that Jesus' tomb is empty. And it's like, well, wait a second. He said he was going to rise from the dead. And so they're just trying to work through all this. And then so Jesus does his, his really cool trick. He makes it so they can't recognize him. And he walks with them from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And in verse 27 of chapter 24, it says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus spent time with these two men. He showed them how everything that had been written before, how he fulfilled, how he accomplished all the law and the prophets and all that came before him. Luke wants Theophilus and everyone else who would ever read his words to understand That this testimony, this reality of a Jesus who came, sent by God to rescue and redeem the world and to show us what it really means to be a human is worth it. You can have confidence. You can stake your life on it. You can have assurance. And over the next 50 weeks, we're going to be exploring how we can seek him and dive deep into that confident hope of Jesus Christ and what he's done. So that we can be these authentic, devoted followers of Jesus who live in the fullness of life that he himself has proclaimed. So what are some take-homes for you? Uh, well, first of all, um, think about Theophilus for a minute. Here's a man who was struggling in some way with confidence in what he was aligning his life around I think we've already articulated that all of us have found ourselves there before. It may be a tragedy, it may be a, a difficult circumstance, it may be um just uh, some trouble in your life, and you're having a hard time wondering: is God really with me? Is he really in this? Is he is he real? This journey is for you. It was written inspired by the Spirit so you too could have assurance and certainty and confidence in who Jesus is. And I don't know about you, but I crave certainty. And what I've noticed about our world is that it's so hard to come by. Just when you think you have something that you can count on Someone get, that you love gets diagnosed with a dreadful disease, or someone dies, or, or 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 this happens to you, and it's like, wait a second, I thought I had assurance. One of the things that we are actually so guilty of in American society is thinking that we're insulated and safe and have it all figured out. And then things happen, like what happened last weekend, and we see three lives ended, and we have no answers for the questions, and we wonder what's certain in this world. And then we hear reports of of, of 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 drone strikes and and missiles being sent into army bases. And we wonder what's going to happen. And and Ukrainian airliners come down and we look at the news and we see that Puerto Rico just keeps shaking. And we wonder what's going on. And we, we look out to Australia and we see millions of acres consumed by flames, billions of animals killed, stories of people burying kangaroos and wallabies. And we're like, holy cow, what is certain in this world? And Luke wants you to know and I believe that God wants you and I to know that there is nothing certain except him. Hebrews 13, the writer of the letters of the Hebrews says this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a anthem repeated in the Old Testament that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul writes this in one of his letters that even when we are faithless, God is faithful because he cannot disown and dishonor himself. There is only one who is certain. And so let's seek him and allow him to bring the the strength and the, 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 the power to our lives that no one else can. What about Luke? Maybe you need to take some application from him. Here is a man who did a thorough investigation of what he heard about Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're hearing about Jesus in a way you've not heard about him before. And you want to know, can I count on this? Can I believe this? Here's the question I fight in my mind sometimes. Is that if someone would tell me, and they they did when I was a young child, that there is a God who made me and crafted me and formed me in his image, And then because of sin, there's brokenness that separates me from God's best. But yet God loved me so much that he sent his one and only son to die for me. That I wouldn't die forever, but I would live victoriously with him. I would want to know if that was true. And I'll have conversations with people like, you know what? I just don't have the energy to figure that out. And I think to myself, really? Really? Like how many of us will spend hours researching purchases? Like how many of us will talk to people who bought this and liked it, who bought this and returned it and didn't like it? And how much will watch YouTube review after YouTube review, after YouTube review? and how many of us will, will go to a website to check out this and to check out that cardio and to find out those prices, and we'll, we'll do all this research sometimes, if it's a big purchase, we'll spend hours, even days of our life researching something that we can buy. But yet we can't find the motivation to figure out if the creator of the universe loves us enough to send his son to die for us, to rescue us, and to fill us with hope and meaning and purpose and life? Come on! If it means that much, then research it. And I don't say that callous, I'm just saying, don't give me that thought. I think what happens many times is that we don't want to investigate those things because we're afraid of what it might mean for me if I realize how true it is. There is a cost associated with following Jesus, but there is an incredible reward. And so will you seek him with us this year and see how real he is? And the final observation is this that you can take with you. Luke references the eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. People who saw Jesus, but only saw him, but chose to serve the message and the mission and the life that he proclaimed. Will you be people who not only see Jesus and hear about him, but you will submit your will to his and trust him and follow him and honor him and live for him? Even when you don't understand, even when you question his truth, even when you're not sure why he said that or why we should believe this, will you choose to keep trusting him? And then will you go share that with somebody else so they can find a life that you yourself have experienced. So that as you seek him, they can seek him and together we can make this world the renewed earth that God intends for it to be. Let's pray. God, I thank you I thank you for your purpose. I thank you for your life. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit who led uh, Luke to record this history of Jesus' life that we could have confidence and assurance. And so, God, I ask that over the next 50 weeks, that as we journey through Luke's words, that you would give us that confidence, that you would draw us deeper into your life and draw uh, others into your life for the very first time. Help us to be assured and have confidence when all of us around us seems to fall and fade and crack and shatter and break. And it's in your name we trust and hope. In the name of Jesus. Amen.